0: Welcome back to Politics Is Everything, the podcast of the Center for Politics at the University of Virginia, where Kyle is a Southern gentleman, but I am not. Why do you I'm say Kara that? <laughs> Lee. Did you watch the Fonnie Willis um, testimony? Oh,
1: oh, oh, now I know <laughs> what you're talking about. Yes, I didn't watch it. I did read about it though, and I think I remember that particular line. Well, I live in Washington. Uh, I do work for the University of Virginia, though, so that gives me some Southern credibility, I think. So uh, there there we go. And Washington is, uh, you know, right in the middle.
0: So Kyle, a lot has been happening and you and Miles are doing some incredible analyses on the crystal ball. Um, I, I thought we would maybe start with the Senate side because there is so many updates there and a terrific new piece coming out this week that is you know, really part of a broader conversation that we are having about the Senate this year. One of the most powerful trends in modern political history is that there's very little split ticket voting. Senate elections have become far more aligned with the presidential election. Um, And so that has really big implications in 2024, because Democrats, generally speaking, are much more on the defense than Republicans are. They're, They're having to defend a lot more seats. They are. They have more vulnerable seats um, based on how, whether or not former President Trump or President Biden carried states in 2020. So I wonder if you can talk a little bit about uh, split ticket voting and, and what we expect, and then also what the implications of the 2024 Senate elections are.
1: Yeah. So uh, if you go through history, and, and this piece is going to look at uh, post-World War II uh, Senate elections and presidential years. So starting in 1948, but you know, what you see is, is, uh, you know, really two different dynamics that were really present in the back half of the 20th century that are less present now. Um, first of all, you just had a lot of States that would be open to voting for one party for Senate and the other party for president. And that was also combined with an era where you had a lot of blowout presidential elections. So like, you know, 1972 for instance, and 1984, um, Richard Nixon and then Ronald Reagan, respectively, won all but one state in each of those years. And yet Democrats won, you know, basically half the Senate races that were being contested in those years. And so the combination of a presidential blowout and a bunch of ticket splitting led to a bunch of states in those years, for instance, electing uh, Democratic senators but going Republican for president. Um, But if you go back, you know, further than that, if further back in time, you, you don't necessarily see as much ticket splitting Um, But you see this sort of rise in ticket splitting um, throughout, again, the back half of the 20th century. And then you still see some of it in like even in close presidential years, like 2000, 2004, 2008, uh, 2012, you had kind of between like six to 10 split Senate and presidential outcomes in those years. But in the two most recent presidential elections, 2016, every state that had a Senate race voted for the same party for president as they voted for for Senate. And then in 2020, the only exception was Susan Collins, a Republican, winning in Maine. And, and that state went Democratic for president. Uh, and so I would expect that you, know, you you probably won't see very much crossover in this upcoming election. Um, but again, a lot of that has to do with who ends up winning the presidential race. But, you know, the Democrats have uh, three uh, Senate seats in Trump one um, states. We know that West Virginia is an open seat, is, is very, very likely to flip to the Republicans as Republicans are very likely to, to win that state by a lot for president. Uh, and then it's a question of like Ohio and Montana and what happens in those places. And you've also got a number of other states that voted for Joe Biden, but, but only by small margins, you know, smaller than his national margin. Uh, and those states, if, if particularly if Trump wins, could end up voting Republican for president. And maybe that bleeds down to the Senate, too. And uh, with the Democrats playing a ton of defense, there is a lot of downside risk that not only could Republicans win the Senate, but also win it. By just more than one or two seats, uh, and that's when it would start to have implications for future Senate control and um, Republicans potentially having more of a lasting advantage going going forward if they capitalize on on the opportunities on this map.
0: And of course, if they have more of a lasting advantage, that is going to impact legislation. That could impact Supreme Court seats as well.
1: Tom Schaller, uh, you know, longtime commentator and uh, political science uh, professor, uh, he wrote in Crystal Ball a couple of months ago that we've had. You know that they're the different governing alignments of course uh, democratic president republican congress republican president democratic congress which was that that alignment was very common in the back half of the the 20th century particularly in the in the 70s and 80s um but uh you know one alignment we really have not had in recent memory is democratic president republican senate democratic house that particular alignment and you know that came very close to happening in 2020 Took the Democrats sweeping the two Georgia Senate runoff somewhat surprisingly uh, in early 2021 um, to prevent that from happening, and de- Democrats had a had a fi- you know basically a 51 to 50 Senate majority with the with the vice presidential tie breaking vote. Um, but it certainly seems possible that you could see a you know Republican Senate and Democratic House and Democratic President in 2025, and um, that would have a lot of consequences for the president's Democratic president's ability to. Um, get his or her uh, uh, cabinet nominees. I guess a lot of those people would still be in office, but particularly for court vacancies, you could imagine court seats being held open, even as as a Supreme Court seat, um, because the Senate just won't have much incentive to um, confirm these judicial appointees. So that uh, is is something that's potentially on the horizon, if in fact that happens, which is possible Not there's all sorts of different possibilities uh, and alignments for 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 twenty twenty
0: five. Well, so one of the states that you just mentioned that is at stake this year is Montana. And and just recently, Representative Matt Rosendale from Montana too announced that he'd run for a rematch against Senator John Tester. There's of course other updates on the crystal ball from the western states. This week, the National Republican Senatorial Committee endorsed Carrie Lake. She lost the 2022 gubernatorial bid in Arizona, and she also has a reputation as a vocal election denier. Um, And then there's also this question of whether or not Senator Kirsten Sinema, uh, who declared herself as an independent but has been caucusing as a Democrat, whether or not she will run again. So how should we be thinking about some of these Western uh, Senate seats and, and how they might play out?
1: So Rosendale uh, embarked on what became one of the shortest Senate campaigns of all time because oh. he, he announced and then he and then he got out um, late last week after we did our update. Donald Trump waded in and endorsed Tim Sheehy, who was kind of the the, the favorite of national Republicans in that race. Uh, and that pushed Rosendale to the uh, the exits. so that was basically a good development for National Republicans because they prefer Sheehy. Rosendale lost to Joe uh, John tester in t- uh, 2018. We'll have to sort of wait and see how good of a candidate she is. He's a uh, a veteran first time candidate um, but, but National Maybe Republicans seal. yeah, na- National Republicans definitely preferred him still waiting on Kirsten Sinema in Arizona. Um, that's one of the big kind of remaining candidate decisions. And then a few others of note that that just happened really over the last few days. Um, Eric Hovde uh, in Wisconsin, who's I think the sort of preferred Republican candidate. Um, he's a you know businessman. Unsuccessfully ran in 2012 for the Republican nomination. He is likely to be uh, Tammy Baldwin's opponent in Wisconsin. That's a state where I think Baldwin is still a favorite. But you know if if Trump wins the state for president, that would certainly open the door to to Hovde being able to to win. Uh, and then uh, also in Michigan, uh, James Craig, uh, who b- tried to be the Republican gubernatorial nominee in 2022 and basically messed up the the petitioning and so he didn't get on the ballot. Um, he was probably kind of like the, the the Trumpiest of the potential Republican candidates in Michigan. And he just dropped out. Uh, he wasn't really raising any money. Um, you put all this together. Uh, and I think there's been some positive developments for national Republicans in in the race for the Senate overall. It doesn't really guarantee them anything. but seems to be not quite as rocky of a road as it was in 2022. When, of course, Republicans just had a really poor slate of candidates across the map and ended up losing a net seat when they they could have maybe gained net seats and won the Senate.
0: So let's talk a little bit about Larry Hogan, who's announced he's running for Senate in Maryland. Kyle, what are your thoughts?
1: On one hand, based uh, based on recent history, I wouldn't say he has no chance of winning, but I'd say his chances of winning are very low. But it's like where we have it, We're basically not making anyone happy because there's some people who feel like it's like a real top tier race now. And there are some people who believe that it's a total snoozer. And I don't think it's necessarily either of those things.
0: I wonder if there's also a larger point. This is also a signal about, you know, potential moderates, uh, moderate Republicans not jumping into the Republican presidential primary because his name had been floated quite a bit by no labels. And right. so to me, it was like a signal like, OK, he's not running for no labels. He's running for the Senate seat. He's staying in politics like this is somebody who's respected. He's going to continue to have a voice. So to me, like whether or not he wins or the ratings change is sort of almost beside the point.
1: Yeah, I did think it was a telling thing that he would he would have been a, a pretty natural person for that no labels nomination and, you know, decided not to do it. Um and, and look i mean it's great for the republicans to have, you know to have as many real candidates as they can across the map um right. it's great great for any party it's just that our you know the experience with this has been that even when these sort of high profile candidates get in in states where they're not you know the, the 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 dominant party is the other party um you know it takes some work for the other side to win but but they usually do win
0: just as you pointed out it's good to have quality candidates i mean this is a really this is a quality candidate. And so Absolutely. we cheering that on.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, we I,
0: need more competitive elections if. Right. Right. I if mean, if nothing else. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, you want, you want as many capable people to be running as possible. Um, and so, you know, this is a race that's now suddenly interesting in a way that it, it wasn't before he got in.
0: Well, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about the house of representatives. Last week was the New York district three election. Uh, that was a special election, of course. Um, and we have a new representative there. We have a new representative, Tom Swasey, uh, who beat out Mazza Pillip. Uh, and I think there's some really uh, important lessons, but also we should never read too much into special elections, of course. Um, but one of the biggest lessons perhaps coming out of the New York 3 special election is how Democrats should consider taking on immigration. And I think one of the most interesting examples to me of Tom Swasey's work in this election was, you know, he followed um, uh, Philip, uh One day she announced she was going to be doing a press conference um, on immigration. And he basically showed up and held his own press conference immediately after um, to directly counter her message, but more broadly had effective campaign messaging as well. Um, and and also he and his allies outspent um, Pillip quite a bit as well. I wonder if you can talk about um, what your takeaways are from New York three, and what that means in terms of the map for the twenty twenty four elections.
1: It Was another thing I would categorize. I feel like we've previously talked about you know some of the election results lately, um, and one of the ways I've been looking at it, particularly just for, for Biden and, and some developments, is that you know it's for Democrats, it's good because it's not bad. Meaning that you know you could have imagined a world in which Republicans come really close to or winning. This New York three election and would have maybe vindicated Republicans on some of the immigration messaging and sort of confirmed some of the polls and 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 some of the weakness for Biden. And yet the margin of the district is very similar to to what the margin of the district it was for um, for president in 2020. Um, you know, I think that what Swazi did was he didn't sort of put his head in the sand on the immigration topic. He decided to engage on it um, when Republicans were clearly focusing on it in their campaign messaging it kind of reminded me of how Democrats I think successful ones anyway were able to deal with Republican attacks on crime in 2022 and that is to sort of proactively run your own ads on it um uh, uh you know feature people who may be uh you know validators for you on the particular issue on, on crime it was basically showing cops and I think for you know for some on the left they might say hey you're just offering up uh you know Republican light <laughs> on these kinds of issues but I also think it's probably smart and effective to, um, you know, to, to take these kinds of attacks seriously and to try to do something about them. If the other side is focusing on them that much, because if you just ignore it, then you allow the other side to kind of, uh, um, define, uh, the, you know, the message and and define you. And, you know, the Republicans feel like they, they do have a winning hand to play on immigration. President Biden's numbers on immigration are pretty bad, but between, you know, a result like this and also the, um, you know this this deal that that uh, Republicans and Democrats cut in the Senate over the border, which a lot of people viewed as kind of a Republican-leaning deal, at least in terms of its its priorities, and it's something that uh, you know the broader you know Republican uh, members of the Senate and House decided you know not to go along with. That, that at least gives you know Democrats something to engage on the issue with, um, and uh, uh, and again here it was you know it was it was I think successful. Um, that, you know, it's possible Republicans had an advantage on that issue anyway in the election, but um, certainly it didn't prevent Swazi from winning, nor from winning, you know, fairly comfortably by seven, eight points.
0: New York will be redistricting as a as a result of contestation of, of the maps there. What do you expect to happen uh, to the New York three district?
1: Yeah. So late last week, uh, the newly reconstituted uh, a redistricting commission in New York, which is a, you know, which is a bipartisan commission. They released a new congressional map that made kind of modest changes. Um, basically, you know, upstate, uh, one Republican was, was pretty clearly hurt. Brandon Williams and sort of the Syracuse area, and then a little bit further South Mark Molinaro Republican was, was hurt, a, was, was helped a little bit by the lines, uh, Pat Ryan, a Democrat, uh, from upstate, he was helped a little bit. Um, I think the, the sort of indication immediately following the release of the maps is that Democrats in the state legislature would maybe go along with it. But since then, there's been, uh, a lot of reporting, uh, and statements from prominent Democrats, like, um, the, 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 uh, the House Democratic leader, Hakeem Jeffries, who of course is also a House member from New York state, um, you know, kind of saying they don't agree with the maps. And so there are ways for the legislature to, you know, modify the map slightly or, if they want to, to just try to throw it out and draw their own map and then see if the um, state's highest court will uh, intervene on it. But it's still possible they might go for a fairly aggressive gerrymander here. I do think what what New York Three showed is that you know Democrats had this horrible election in New York in 2022. They lost a bunch of, uh, of House seats, seats both uh, on Long Island and also upstate. And, uh, and so there are a bunch of Biden-won districts that are held by Republicans now in New York State and you know swazi was able to win new york 3 again by the, the same margin that biden did and i think it showed that even if the map didn't change at all the democrats could still you know do much better on that the current map um in a better environment in 2024 if in fact 2024 is a better environment frankly i don't, I don't see how it could be worse um given that sort of a, there was a there was a, a localized red wave in new york that really helped republicans in, in a lot of different places um so, uh, you know, stay tuned on redistricting there. It seems like the map that the commission produced is not going to be enacted, at least in its current form. Uh, and then we'll just have to see if it changes a little or if it changes a lot.
0: The election in New York 3 also created a change in crystal ball ratings. It is now a Aileen's Democratic district. And that means that we now have only 19 toss-ups. Uh, 212 seats are rated safe, likely or leaning Republican, 204 as safe, likely leaning Democratic. Um, And I just wanted to point out that we are at historic lows in terms of the number of competitive House seats um, and and that it has been increasingly dwindling, especially since the 2018 midterm elections. Um, I I wonder if you have any thoughts on on competitiveness this year
1: yeah, I mean, look, I mean, it's the the House overall is very close to contested. Um, but you know, we're not we're not looking at a ton of competitive uh, districts. um and part of it is that we talked about the 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 sort of growing correlation between Senate and presidential results. Same thing is happening at the House level. And so you have relatively few crossover districts that voted for one party for president and and one party for for House. And the New York redistricting could, you know, contribute to even fewer of fewer of those seats um uh, existing after the the 2024 uh, election but since the house is so closely contested any any change in terms of the bottom line like swazi flipping uh new york 3 or changes to redistricting in certain states um, those are all very impactful to uh the overall race for control just because you know it might be just like one race in one state or you know one new map in one state that is the difference between a you know a a two twenty uh Democratic majority or a two twenty, you know, Republican majority. I mean, it's that much on uh on the butter knife here. So this is why the New York redistricting is so important and so closely watched, because um it's it's not necessarily an overstatement to say that it could decide the House of Representatives. Um could be the difference between one side having the majority or not. Um so again, we'll have to stay tuned on that. I'm sure we'll do a we'll do a full analysis whenever that is uh w- finalized in state legislature. And even if it is finalized by the state legislature, um, it's possible that the courts may intervene and, and do something different um, if uh, if they determine that the, the legislature ended up going too far on whatever they end up doing.
0: Well, Kyle, thank you as always. Thank you. Listeners, you can find links to the most recent crystal ball analyses in the episode notes. Hi, podcast listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Politics is Everything. Editing and production was done by me, Kara ong Wiley. You can learn more about the Center for Politics and its work to strengthen democracy on our website at centerforpolitics.org. You can also engage with us on social media at Center Number 4 Politics. We welcome your suggestions and questions for future episodes. Thanks so much for tuning in. Until next time.